This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my, by my dad, Warren Tanner. It is entitled, The Priests and the Footmen. You can find all of our Shabbat messages wherever you get your podcasts, and they are also at our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. You can also read my dad's weekly essays there, and you can subscribe to them on our uh, website if you put your email in the little email subscribe box. And as always, our theme music is by my buddy Evan Shaw. His website is evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Mighty warriors arise, All right. Good morning. Good to see everybody. You can turn to 1 Samuel 21. Small notes. It should be short. (laughs) All right. So 1 Samuel 21. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you that we can come apart on this Shabbat. Thank you, Father, that it is a foretaste of what will be ours when we're finally with our Savior, Yeshua. Lord, I ask that you just bless this time. I ask that you will work in our hearts through your word by means of the Holy Spirit to do what um, only he can do, you can do in our hearts, because you know us. You know us in our hearts. You know us in our heads. So I just ask that you will make application and thank you that your word is alive and it's just not print on a page, but it's, it's the very essence of life. And I ask that you just be glorified today as we're together here. In Yeshua's name, amen. All right, so my title for this is The Incident of the Priests and the Footmen. The Incident of the priests and the footmen. So I kind of want us to, where am I going with this? I, I want you to I think, and I'm not meaning that you don't, <laughs> but to be thinking through this passage because I, I want to I try to draw our attention to something that I think may be applicable for today, where we are, maybe where we are headed. Uh, as far as prophecy, biblical, and times, and, and things of that nature, though this passage doesn't talk about it. But I'm talking more about how we view ourselves and our role in the coming days, I guess. So let's go ahead and read. We're going to read the whole thing. We're going to start at chapter 21, and we're going to go all the way through 22. I'll try to be uh, clear and quick as I read this, and we'll just read it without comment, but I need you to get the context. I need you to know uh, where we are, right? So, where we are right now is, is Saul has been trying to just take out David. Saul's really upset with David, 
and he's jealous of David, and so he just kind of has been doing, making David's life miserable to the point where uh, uh, Saul has tried to kill David. And Jonathan hasn't believed that his father would try to kill David, but Jonathan has finally gotten proof of this. He's seen it for himself. Even Saul's tried to kill Jonathan. <coughs> so <clears throat> David and Jonathan meet one last time, and then they end up parting. And this is where we enter the story. All right, 21.1. Then came David to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and what I have commanded thee. And I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of the bread in thine hand, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There's no common bread under my hand, but there is hallowed bread, if the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it be sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech there, is Ahimelech, and is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, There's none like that, give it me. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart, and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before him, and feigned himself mad in their hands, and scrabbled on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish, Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see the man's mad. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about four hundred men. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth, 
and be with you till I know what God will do with me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart, and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hareth. When Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? <clears throat> and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you that is sorry for me or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> then, verse 9, Then answered Doag the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse come into Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahiatub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him victuals, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahiatub, and all his father's house the priests that were in Nob. And they came all of them to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahiatub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, faceplant, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be afar from me. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all this less or more. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Elimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and fell upon the priests and slew on that day 85 people that did wear a linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahiatub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day, when Doag the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life 
Uh, sorry, for he that seeketh thy life. Ah, where, where am I here? Uh, abide, 23. Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. All right, so that's the incident of the priests and the footmen. So I want to draw our attention to verse 16 and 17 of chapter 22. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Halimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. And then Doag decides he's going to do it and goes on a rampage and brings a lot of slaughter, death, and destruction. Okay, now. We probably all know, and I, I'm probably not going to get to it, but Yeshua also relates to this incident in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And we may or may not get there. But this is so important that even Yeshua pulls it up and uses it as, as, a, as a, an arrow in his quiver to show the Pharisees how pharisaical they are and are turning things flip-flopped around. Uh, in relation to the Sabbath and uh, other observances. So, Yeshua even recognizes this story. And I, I think that to me is significant because if it's that important for Yeshua to bring it up, then it calls our attention to it. Interestingly, Yeshua didn't get hung up in his discussion with, did David lie? Should David have lied? You know, look what happened because he lied. I don't, that's not my thrust in all this. And, and I found it interesting that Yeshua doesn't highlight any of that at all either uh, when he brings it up. But I have a thought here that I want to try to get us to focus on. And this may, might not impact you at all, it may get you to thinking. You may have already thought about it. I had about halfway, and then I read some commentary, which made me think further on this. I, I, I'm the guy. I'm the I'm the guy that sounds the gong, that that cries the alarm. Hey, something's happening on the horizon, and I can't help it. And I just feel like I come, and that's like, do you have anything good to say? And I do, hopefully. In, in what I have to say, but I'm, I'm kind of the guy that looks around and sees where we are right now in the time frame of what God may or may not be doing and what is happening and how things are seeming to be being, getting ratcheted up here and there. And we're being put in spots in our country and, and really around the world that we as believers did not think we'd probably see in our lifetime. I, I never really thought that I would be somewhat in opposition to the governing authorities that are now putting out these directives that have ruined people's lives. Uh, did you know about the, the suicide there, right there on Dow Street? So, yeah, just this week. I didn't know anything about it. I go into work the next day. I said, hey, to the girl, how you doing? She was coming up Dow Street, a bus driver in the MTA bus, what, third, fourth floor. The guy just decided and kill himself. And she saw the whole thing. Now, that may or may not have anything to do with where we are right now, but people's lives, 
I, I go to work, I don't know what it is, well, some of you guys have your own businesses and work in Christian organizations. I go to work where there's, and you do too, where there's a bunch of lost people. People's lives, they're, they're worked up over this. I mean, lives have been changed. Emotions have been affected. And we as believers in Yeshua, we're, we're, we're caught up also in the midst of this. So, so how are we supposed to think? What is supposed to be our mindset? When do we decide that there's a line and we don't cross this line and what does it mean? Now, I see all that in this and I want to try to bring this out. So here's a general, here's, here's um, my thoughts and questions. So why do we have this story in the Bible or any story in the Bible? Why do we have anything in the Bible? Why do we have this in particular in, in the Bible? Is it just a, a, a nice historical narrative? Or is it for also personal application? Well, it's both. But I think it's not just for personal narrative. I don't think it's just so that we can learn a historical fact. I don't think it's just, oh yeah, this is what happened, this is what David did, and let's get hung up on whether he lied and what he did was right or wrong then you know you, you get over into Yeshua and so he saw it more he, he saw it as a as a historical incident but he also saw a practical application of it so he took a historical incident that of course he knew about and wrote about and this his word so he took a historical incident and made practical application in uh, a time frame that was a long time removed from David so why do we even have the Bible is it just, woohoo, this is fun to read and we have knowledge and we can sit around our group and talk and impress with one another, impress one another with what we don't, with what we know and afraid to open up our mouth and, and show what we don't know? Or, or is it meant to kind of infiltrate the warp and woof of our lives? Well, I think that's, that's its point. So when I read the Word of God, it's not just print on a page. It's historical. It, it happened. It's real. It's the inspired Word of God. But it's not just that. It's, it's the guidebook for what we do, how we do it, when we do it, where we do it, how we live. And I love that. I just think that's the coolest thing ever. You know, God saved us and he gave us a manual. He said, here's how you do it. All right, now, suppose you are the footman in verse 17. Suppose you are the footman. Okay, now, who are the footmen? My, my Bible says the term footman, literally runners, refers to the royal bodyguard who protected the king. Some ran before his chariot while others guarded the palace door. So those are the footmen. In other words, the way I looked at it, like they're, they're the president's secret service. They're Hitler's private bodyguard. They're the guys, if you've seen that movie with Clint Eastwood, where, where the secret service, and he's old, and the secret service guys are running along the president's car, well, well uh, along the, what do you call that thing, the motorcade. 
you know, these are the guys that are, they're, they are the elite. They're the most trusted. They have to keep the president of the United States safe. Coy, he is as a uh, SWAT guy. He was involved when, when Trump was here. He has that job. He's, he's, not, he's not the close bodyguard, but he's the extended factor of that. They are at the highest cost that could come to them uh, committed to the life of that guy, right? That's these footmen. That's these footmen. They run alongside the motorcade. They're, they're running alongside the chariot. They're, they're the ones that are at the door. They're the ones that are out right there in the Oval Office, right around there, however they do it. These are those guys that are up there on the top of the building with the guns that every once in a while you see. That's these guys. So they're not just the bellhops. They're not just the little hang-around guys. These are guys that have been specially chosen. They are specially trained. And they are entrusted with the life of the number one supreme guy. Okay, do you get who these guys are? They're the SWAT team. All right, now. So, this is what my mind did. And this is where I want us to start thinking. You might not think any of this is relevant, that's fine. And it may not necessarily be in our lifetime, but as I've been trying to say, the end has to get here at some point. There is an end game. It's in here. It's the book of Revelation. It's going to get here. So maybe it's not our generation. Maybe it's our kids, our grandkids. I don't know. But the end will get here. And it appears to me anyway that perhaps God is saying, we need to get the troops in shape. We need to get the troops in shape. So, you're the footman, right? You're, you're, you're one of these guys. And the king says to you, turn and slay the priests of the Lord. What do you do? How do you do it? To what extent do you do it? Whoa. Wow. What do you do? What do you do when you have to disobey the law? How do you do it? When do you do it? What extent do you do it? As a believer, what do we do? Well, we have to depend who our commander-in-chief is. For me, it's Jesus. It's not Trump or whoever the president is. So my first allegiance is to honor my God, my Savior, His Word, and those that have come before me and shed their life's blood and have stood up for the cause of Christ, and it cost them their life. We have a heritage. I think we forget that. We stand upon the shoulders of those who have shed their blood in defense of the faith. Just like the soldiers, we have a country who went off to do battle. And we have this freedom that we have at the expense of their lives. We owe a responsibility to those that have come before us and have paid the ultimate supreme for what our country is supposed to stand for and what this book is supposed to stand for. So you're 
I hope you're thinking, you're, you're, a, you're a footman. You're, you're there. You're there. So, what do you do? Um, interesting question, isn't it? Now, you, you, the, the, the thing that makes a message like this irrelevant is, is we'll all say to some degree, I'll never be in that spot. No. But you might be in that spot for your family. As I've told you, well, we've already run down a thing. If, if they get crazy and, and one of our kids or grandkids uh, is diagnosed and they decide they're going to start, as I said early on, potentially put them, as they've done, what is it, in New Zealand, in, in Australia, they've gone and taken people from their homes and put them into quarantine places. Whoa, so they come for one of your kids? Oh, that won't happen in America. I think we're seeing things that are happening in America we never thought would have happened in America and still may be happening that may not happen here. What do we do, folks? All right, so this footman thing, I don't want to drag it out. Um, I, I don't want to tell you yet what I would do, what I, what I would do. I'm going to read you some notes, three notes here. Until I read the second two notes, I hadn't really thought through like they said. I thought more like what Matthew Henry and, and what most preachers and commentators say about these footmen. All right, this is, this is how Matthew Henry says it, and it's a great note. It's, it's fine. What I didn't realize was it didn't go far enough. What I didn't realize was the way I looked at this passage didn't go far enough. And that kind of shocked me a little bit. So, um, Matthew Henry says, Never was the command of a prince more honorably disobeyed. He's saying they did good. The footmen had more sense and grace than their master, Saul. Though they might expect to be turned out of their places, a loser job, if not punished and put to death for their refusal, yet Come on them what would, they would not offer to fall upon the priests of the Lord. Such a reverence had they for their office, and such a conviction of their innocence. So, this is real for these guys. I might lose my job. I might lose my life. My king, my commander, my government just told me I should do something. Who do I obey? What do I do? So... Never was the command of a prince more honorably disobeyed. And so they disobeyed, and that's good. But the question that I asked myself was, was that enough? Was that enough? Should something else have been done? What would I have done? What are you going to do? All right, so a couple more notes, which enlightened me. All right, so this is by John Gill. He said, their consciences would not suffer them to do it, to kill the priest. They refused to obey the king's orders and chose rather to expose themselves to his resentment than to be guilty of such a crime. Saul's footmen had more sense of honor, justice, and truth than he himself had, and were worthy of praise, and I wasn't expecting a but 
but they would have been more deserve sorry they would have been deserving of more if they could not have prevailed upon him by entreaties and remonstrances remonstrances r e m o n s t r a n c e s if uh, but let me start again my tongue always gets in the way but they would have been more uh, but they would have been deserving of more if they could not have prevailed upon the king by entreaties and remonstrances to have forborne such a bloody ex execution. In, sorry for butchering that. I, I don't like how they write that, but he writes it. But anyway, he says, instead of being the tame spectators of it, I thought, whoa. They were tame spectators of what was going on. What would have been better? If they had taken the king and bound him as a madman and so facilitated the escape of the priests and prevented this shocking scene of wickedness. So he says, like Matthew Henry, this is good, this is good. But they did not go far enough. They should have said something. They should have said, hey, king, oh, what, blah, 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 more, 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 and really worked upon him. But if they couldn't do that, then they should have acted and taken the king. And uh, what do they do it on, on a ship when they relieve the... Yeah, they should have relieved the captain of command of this ship at this time. They should have mutinied. He's Ahab, right? He's insane! Which is what... Um, uh, his second in command said and wanted to kill him. What was his name? Uh, Starbuck. Starbuck, yeah, wanted to kill him. So they didn't go far enough. Do you remember what happened because they didn't go far enough? 85 priests were killed, plus a whole group of people were slaughtered. Slaughtered! Because they were afraid to lose their job or their life. Whoa! They were, of course, they didn't know how it was going to pan out. But that's the thing. If you wait too long, you're what? Culpable. You're culpable! But we're afraid, what if I act improperly? What if, what if, what if, what if? And you know why we get into the what ifs? Because we've not thought ahead of time. And that's what I'm trying to do here. We have to start getting our hands out of La La America land and start seeing what God has given us in his word as tools in our quiver to prepare us for what we're not even beginning to think might happen. And we're not going to... Koi, well, how do you say it? you will rise to the level of your... You never rise to the level of your, your expectation. You fall to the level of your training. Right. Interpret that for me. imagine or think that you actually will in any given situation, you will only perform to the level in which you have practiced for whatever particular situation. So tell me if I'm right. So automatically, if you don't have something already happening, it puts you in this moment in which you hesitate. Yes. But training, pre-thought, says you know what to move when. Yes. So it's that moment in time I'm talking about where we're just, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And something goes 
haywire. One more note. Benson, he said, in this Undoubtedly, they were praiseworthy, but but number two hit me. But had been more so had they courageously taken the part of these innocent persons, the priests, the same word, and remonstrated, and remonstrated, spoke to Saul, against his cruelty as contrary to all the laws of God and man. And if their reasons and prayers had been ineffectual, they should have treated this command as a dictate of Saul's melancholy or evil spirit and have given the priest some opportunity to escape out of his hands. Instead of standing tamely to see them fall contrary to all laws, divine or human, by the hands of a ruffian, the minister of a tyrant's cruelty. Have you ever wondered why, and I bring this up a lot, thank you, the Jews got to the point, you've all seen the pictures where it's like they've been through hell and they've seen family members and everything, they've been kicked out of their houses, out of their land, and, and they're standing, of course, I know physically at this point they're worn down, but how could they have gotten there to where they're on the edge of the thing with the gun behind them and they're going to fall on top of all the other corpses that have just been shot? How did they get from there to there? I don't know. Would I end up there? How brave am I? And see, see what, what, this face mask, this face mask thing is a big deal. It's a big deal. We're cowering because we're afraid of what people might think or say. Do we wear the mask or not? Okay, I don't want to argue the merits of whether we should or not or we, whether we should not obey or not. I'm talking about what's going on in here. In here, inside of you. If we cannot stand up to something as small as this, we will find ourselves complicit and following the next step, the next step, the next step. It, none of this stuff happens from here, zero to a hundred in a split second. It's one mile at an hour, and it doesn't seem so bad. Haven't you been driving down the road? It happens to everybody. Next thing you look down, it's like you don't even know you're doing 90 miles an hour. It's like, how did that happen? Very gradually. Now, I just feel I have a responsibility, first to myself, second to my wife, third to my family, and anybody else that will listen. And if you think I'm uh, blowing the trumpet that doesn't need to be blown, fine. You don't need to argue with me about this. I just think things are in a shift here. I think, I think we cannot any longer... view life as we once used to. It doesn't mean got to be miserable, unhappy, can't enjoy life. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you have to be worn down, beat up. God has saved us for such a time as this, and whether we realize it yet, He has equipped us. We might not know it yet, but He's equipped us internally. He, we're here for now. Just like Ruth was there when she needed to be there, and that's why David one said, hey, I'm going to drop my family off in Moab. The reason he could do that was because he had family there, family ties. God is preparing us. There's stuff in us. But for me, it doesn't get unleashed until I see it in this book. So what would I have done? 
I hate to say it because you'll probably get mad at me. I would have tried to kill the king. If I saw that Doag started to do it, I would have gone after the king and done, I, I would have ended up dead. I would have ended up dead. And you say, oh, no, I don't know what you say. I don't even know what I say. But I cannot stand by and watch 85 priests get killed. Is this hyper-exaggeration as to what we might face? I don't know. But none of us want to get killed. But Revelation talks about the souls under the altar. I've said it many times. God, when are you going to avenge us? Hey, I got more of your, I got more of your brothers and sisters that have to get killed. Please hang, hang tight. It's going to get bad. Do you realize how bad it has to be that the two witnesses in Revelation get killed? They, the whole world rejoices over that? The whole world rejoices over the death of two people that came with the message of God to bring them salvation and deliverance and the world had gotten to such a state. Not everybody, obviously, but everybody's clapping and rejoicing. How, I thought, how, how could I, would I have been faithful witnesses like they were if I was them then? This is how I try to look at stuff. So, you know, now, with all this said, this doesn't depress me. When I have a course of action, then I am set free. It's when I find myself, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, that life becomes bleak and, and things don't look good. I actually have a positive outlook on things right now, though it may go in a negative direction because I realize that I have a course of action, that this book that I have, God's help, been in it for so long, Yeshua said, listen, when you're called up before them to answer, don't even think about it. I'm going to give you in that hour what you need. That's awesome. Now, I, I just don't, it could be he's going to give us words, but I, I wonder if the Holy Spirit's going to start saying, hey, yeah, you remember when Stephen was killed? Yeah, he stood up for the faith. Remember where the apostles, where they said, hey, whether I should obey God or you, you decide we're going to obey God and found himself in jail and eventually dead? Whoa, I've got a plan now. Die if necessary. Be dead already. Then you can live. Who's the guy in the band of brothers? Who? Yeah, but the other guy. Anyway, the other guy says, you can't live as a soldier until you already consider yourself dead. Then you can do what you're supposed to do. See, there's liberty in this sort of stuff. So you don't have to tell me what you would do. And you don't really have to tell me that I'm doing wrong. That's not even the point. I don't want to debate any of this. I'm glad to talk about it. But if <laughs> this is one of those things I feel like I'm going to get really smacked upside the head, head, side of the head in disagreement. And that's all right. But my point more is don't focus on me. What would you do as a footman? What will you do when your government, when your something says, hey, amongst yourself you can talk about Jesus. This is what the apostles went through. We don't want you to spread this out there. Don't, don't, don't go out into the populace and, and talk about this. If you want, you can talk about, your, talk about, about yourself. Say, Sorry, we've got a commission. We're going to go out there and we're going to talk about this. We're not going to stop meeting. 
We're not going to start stop doing what our, our commander-in-chief, our heavenly commander-in-chief, told us what to do. If there's consequences, we'll suffer for it. Yeah, this is real stuff. But, you see, you have to have some of this in you already so that, it's like what Coy said, you, you don't hit this area of pausality. I don't know what to do. Think ahead. Fathers, you have a responsibility. Husbands, you have a responsibility. may not be what I'm saying, but you still have a responsibility. We need to have our troops um, prepped. Anyway, so that's it. What would you do if you were a footman? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the... I think the dual aspect of this for me personally, one, it just took me by surprise. Two, I had to place myself in it. And then three having to wrestle through with this to realize that this is in your word for a reason and even Yeshua pulled it up when he needed it. It said to me that there's some significance to this. And, um, you know, uh, and, and the fallout and the ramifications of it all, it just was staggering to me. But it was so liberating, actually, um, for me. I don't know. Thank you for the positive that came out of all of it for me, though I had to wrestle with myself and wrestle with obedience to you and, and, and ask myself some hard questions and, and think beyond what I normally would want to think. But thank you, that's what your word does for us. And I, I just thank you that you love us enough to give us stuff like this. I mean, from our perspective, tucked way back here in 1 Samuel, you know, how many thousands of years ago. And uh, thank you, Father, that you love us that much, that you gave us a book that is relevant for all times. And I just ask that you would somehow make application and your will be done in Yeshua's name. Amen.